Hello and welcome to the Robot Podcast. I'm Fran Scott, scientist, maker and massive engineering fan. In each episode, we'll be finding out how robots are pushing the boundaries of possibility and supporting businesses to make a more sustainable world. From the way we farm our food to how we package it, from 3D printing ocean waste into furniture to transforming cars into pieces of art, robotic technology is transforming our industries to reach an innovative and planet-friendly future. Today on the Robot Podcast, we're talking all about food. From farm to fork, we are going to track the journey our food takes and, of course, look at how robotics and discrete automation are involved in these processes. Now, of course, I don't need to tell you how important food is, but what you might not have thought about is the supply chain that's involved in getting the food to where it's need to be and how devastating any disruption in that supply chain might be. And it's not working perfectly at the moment. The UN estimated that between 720 and 811 million people went hungry in 2020. So this is the modern world and things aren't working seamlessly. And even if you didn't go hungry, there are billions of people around the world year on year that can't afford to eat healthily and nutritiously. And then on top of that, add the effects of climate change, then this adds further strains to how we grow produce. So we need to look at how to get maximum efficiency and minimum waste in these supply chains. So today we are finding out how robotics can help these issues. So to kick things off, let's hear from a good friend of the show, Andrea Cassoni, Managing Director of the Global Business Line General Industry for Robotics at ABB. And as I was chatting to Andrea, it came as no surprise to me that robots are at the heart of the production lines that make the agricultural machinery. So equipment like your tractors and your harvesters. But I wanted to know what prompted that move to robots. And so to answer that, Andrea explained the challenges the farming and agricultural industries are currently facing. They face similar challenges, you know, and the the most important one, the fundamental one, is the lack of workforce. This happens both in the field, but also in the manufacturing sector in general, and the manufacturing of agricultural machinery is no exception. So the workforce in the field is getting older, less and less young people are joining the field. So this clearly creates a major gap. You need automation there as well to, to fix the problem. And automation needs to be efficient. Automation needs to be affordable. And in this case, of course, for automation, we're talking about agricultural machinery, which have a very long life cycles are produced in high numbers, but not as high as other kind of vehicles, say automotive, which also limit a little bit some of the possibility or used to limit a little bit some of the possibility in the manufacturing process. Less and less if you start to automate the uh, process of manufacturing agricultural machinery. I got you. So here we're talking about the actual production of the machines that are then used on the farms. Exactly. I would say this is even before we start to look at the field, you know, the, the manufacturing, for example, of a, of a tractor. 
So how is robotics and discrete automation transforming these industries then? Uh, let's separate, right? In terms of jobs on the farm, there are all kinds of, of, uh, of development, machinery as drone or autonomous tractors, robotic harvester, automatic watering, and all kinds of other type of machinery using lots of artificial intelligence. But I, I think that's something that will be taken later in the, in the episode, right? When we talk about machinery manufacture, the use of robotics bring the same typical effect that it normally brings in any kind of manufacturing. Robots are already used in a number of processes, such as cutting, bending, casting, welding, painting, surface treatment, and they typically bring the increased speed, increased efficiency, and increased safety that normally robotics does every time it enters a, <laughs> a factory. And not only a factory, by the way. I got yeah, I got yeah. So, talking about these production lines, I suppose, where the agricultural machinery is actually produced. So, in terms of this, you say the speed, the safety, the efficiency of this production line, and that being transformed by robots. Could you expand a little on that? Like, what does it look like? Do you have some facts and figures of it? Speed is a classic, right? Robots increase the job per hour, so increase the amount of product that can be produced in a, in a given uh, time. Of course, it's possible to run 24 hours a day, increase the productivity of a line, which is a, a typical effect of, of using robots. But it actually also increases safety uh, as uh, uh, robots on production reduce operation operators' fatigue and often actually repetitive, uh, heavy or non-ergonomical tasks operations that people don't want to do anymore, and they are perfectly suitable for robots. And finally, efficiency is the possibility to have a higher output with less input. In other words, reducing waste, reducing error, thanks to improved accuracy, and the reduction actually of even direct material when manufacturing a product, in this case, agricultural machines. So it's these things that we've talked about time and time again on the Robot Podcast that robotics and automation can bring to production lines. Um, but Andrea, when it comes to ABB robotics, how specifically are they involved in the agricultural industry? You know, in the production of agricultural machinery, we have so many customers and so many cases and expanding, which I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating. So typically we support our customers and make their own tractors, harvesters, and other similar equipment or attachments. There are many examples. The first application that I can mention and probably the first one that was really uh, systematically used in the industry was welding. And I can give you several examples, but let me take one of a family-owned business in Italy, uh, which is actually one of the largest producers of harvesting attachment. They started with their first welding robot in 97, and since then continue to, to use robotics. And now they have tens of robots, not only in welding, but also in assembly, mounting, in, in various kinds of uh, quality control, machine tending. So from what was a, a very manual line, now they have a, a completely automated line with the possibility to manage uh, variation on their customers' request without the need to completely change the production line, which is a huge advantage for, for them and actually for any manufacturer. Another good example is a, is a, is a big uh, famous name, you know, one of the world leaders in the industry, John Deere. They use ABB robots for painting since 
many, many years. And there are cases I can mention one, for example, in India, where our robots paint more than 20 variants of tractors. And this has helped a lot because this operation was very difficult to be done by, by manual uh, painters, uh, very difficult from an ergonomical point of view, difficult points to be reached, which are not a big deal for robots, uh, fortunately. And also typically with automation and robotics, you reduce overspray. So you reduce the, the wasted paint, the paint that doesn't go into the object. With agricultural machinery, there's not going to be that high churn out of it, is there? Because they're very specific machines that are needed by a few people. So getting robotics involved means that you can personalize these machines quite easily and make them very specific for that specific farmer that wants those certain tasks. As robot becomes more flexible, more intelligent, uh, as the line around becomes also more intelligent and flexible through sensoring, with the use of AGVs or uh, AMR actually, so autonomous mobile robotics, you can manage smaller batches. And this is what is now changing this industry. You don't need to have a super uh, rigid, huge line making all the same product to put uh, automation and robotics nowadays. You don't need, you just need to apply the technology that are available for smaller batches. And as we look to the future, how do you see the farming and agricultural machinery industries embracing robotics and discrete automation in the immediacy? Well, we will continue to see more and more deployment of robots, of uh, autonomous mobile robotics, of collaborative robots also in this industry. You know, they they are becoming more and more used for a number of reasons, essentially for ease of use and flexibility. But also we see an increasing utilization of artificial intelligence, both in the field, but also as it happens in, in the rest of the manufacturing sector on the, on the shop floor. Gosh, so it's an exciting time. It is. It's an important field. Right? You know, our food depends on that industry. Andrea Cassoni there, putting forward the challenges being faced by the companies that make the agricultural machinery. And of course, the solutions that robots can help come up with. But of course, that's not where the benefits of robotics stop in this industry, because take the actual physical farming, for example. Now, that is an exact science with lots of different things all needing to come together at exactly the same time to produce the most and the best crops possible. But excitingly, there is, of course, a myriad of ways that robotics and automation can help farmers in making the most of their crop. Now, I spoke to Ben Scott Robinson, co-founder and CEO of the Small Robot Company, to find out how their technology is changing the way farmers can interact with their fields. And Ben started by explaining the environmental impact that farming in its current form has on our planet. So farming at the moment is an industrial process. It is driven by the idea that you need to use less and less people and more and more machinery, and that the very fields themselves are essentially just an industrial medium into which seed is pushed and chemical is applied to be able to produce a crop at the end of the day. This means that the machinery that's being used is industrial machinery. It's massive. It's damaging to the environment in terms of compacting the soil. And it's driven by the idea that one field is essentially one data point. They assume that everything that happens within that field is the same. 
what we are doing is really trying to understand not how to look at a field as a single data point, but as an individual plant. And when you get down to understanding the individual plants in the field, you realize all that big machinery is one, hugely wasteful, and two, in many cases, just completely doing the wrong thing. Is it working? It's worked in the past. Why is it not working now? Like, what has changed? Or is it just because there's new technologies available to us that we can actually make it better? So for cereal farming, and bearing in mind cereal farming covers the world's largest crops and you know billions and billions of hectares worldwide, the production of cereal crops has become essentially inherently unstable. So all the places where there was traditionally some predictable weather conditions and predictable ways that you can grow crops, all of those places are changing. Whether that's fires happening in Australia, whether that's freak weather conditions such as wind or floods or drought happening in the US, floods in the UK. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, but the UK lost 40% of its winter wheat production. And even in Canada, freak early snows before harvest means that that entire harvest is lost. The second thing, the cost structure based around producing food has radically changed. So the cost of producing fertilizer, for example, has increased. The availability of fertilizer because of Russia's uh, production no longer being accessible to the world, and a lot of places now locking down on these very intensive carbon-emitting capabilities to be able to produce things like uh, nitrogen, means that the capability of farmers to produce food at a profit is uh, going, even though wheat prices have gone up by more than 50% uh, in the last year or so. It's almost in crisis, I would say. And these are these are big percentages happening now or in the very near future. But you're looking to change that, aren't you? Yes, we are. The concept of what we're trying to achieve is based around this idea of per plant farming. The way that we look to achieve that is by using lightweight autonomous vehicles to be able to gather a near real-time view of every single plant in a field over the course of the season as it grows. You're surveying the land. Literally surveying the land at a millimetre level and then be able to process that using very sophisticated AI models to then allow other robots to go back and precisely and timely treat those plants to make sure each plant reaches its maximum potential. Oh my gosh, that's huge. So what we've done is we've produced a nominal service of robots that we call Tom, Dick and Harry. And Tom is a monitoring robot who goes out into the field all day, every day, and surveys each part of the field approximately once every two weeks. And we then process that using an AI called Wilma, which then provides this map and this constantly refreshed, updated map of what's happening in the field. That part we call per-plant intelligence. And right now, per-plant intelligence can be used by farmers on its own by simply converting that map into a file, which is then put into their existing spot sprayers, which can they, they can then take out into the field and use to more precisely spray the chemicals they're currently using to be able to drive down the costs for them, but also drive down the environmental impact of what they're doing. But ultimately, what we want to do is to close the circle, which is where Dick and Harry come in. So Dick is a precision application robot. Dick cares for the crops. And that involves being able to spray. Sometimes they are chemicals, sometimes they're biologicals. 
on each plant individually to be able to treat that plant. But it also allows us to be able to use new technologies to be able to do the treatment. So for example, recently we did a project around slugs and being able to find individual slugs in the field and spray them with biological treatment, a nematode essentially, which causes the slug to die from um, irritable bowel syndrome, if we're honest. It also allows us to be able to control non-crop plants using things like electricity. And we're partnered with a company called RootWave, who have a system that allow us to electrocute individual plants in the field to kill them and take out their roots. It's a systemic system, which obviously has no damage on any other plant in the field and obviously no damage on the soil. And that allows us to move towards a system which is called regenerative farming. You are literally working from the soil up to build a healthy environment in the ground. And this isn't just about increasing the yield or reducing the inputs. When you have a soil that is healthy, it absorbs up to 10 times more water than a degraded soil, which means that it can stand things like floods. It also holds the water in the soil for longer, which means you can withstand things like droughts. It also means that you can uh, grow bigger and better plants, which means you can increase yields. What we are doing is working through the process of quantifying that. And by doing that, it means we have a system which is completely in tune with nature. It is far more capable of surviving. You know, it is sustainable in the true sense of the word. And obviously, has got a much greater chance of creating a sophisticated and rich biome and, and allowing the biodiversity that should happen in fields, rather than these sort of single crop monoculture dead zones, which is what most fields are. That conversation with Ben, I just found incredible because the insight that he gave into this this novel and innovative approach of how to interact with the fields just blew me away. And it got me thinking about, is there other aspects of the industry where a really innovative way of thinking could really progress things in a way that we hadn't thought possible? So after the farm, we need to make sure that our food is stored properly in order to stay fresh. And that comes down to packaging. Now, for this, it often seems like plastic is the solution, for want of a better word. But plastic waste is having a hugely negative impact on our planet. So companies are getting creative with greener solutions, like Kefel. Now, the sharper-eared amongst you may remember that Mark Zagora mentioned these guys back in our sustainability episode. And Kefal are a company that have created some of the most sustainable food packaging on the planet. And in an absolutely incredible way, they're making compostable packaging from renewable raw materials, of course, with the help of robotics and automation. Producer Izzy Clark spoke with Cornelia Frank, Global Director of Fibre Packaging, who explained how Kefil have created such a sustainable food solution. Kefil has already a very long history. So we were founded in 1945. So it's a machine building company and we develop, produce high quality machines for processing plastics, recycled and bio-based materials and new natural fibers. So for, for example, food trays, caps, 
So the industry, they range from packaging, medical and farmer to appliances. Kiefel managed to develop from a classic machine builder to a solution provider. So primarily through increased research and development activities and, uh, of course, research cooperations. Because I think when you think about packaging, people instantly think of plastic. True. So why is Kiefel making these sorts of products? What was that moment of just like, no, this needs to change? Every one of us knows and remembers maybe 2018, 2019, there were heavily uh, emotion campaigns about uh, plastic bashing and actually the consumers, they ask for more environmentally friendly packaging on the one side. Um, but we as a company, we were facing as well legal requirements like the single-use plastic bans in Europe. And additionally, the finance institutes, they were coming as well and said, okay, you're just getting a... If you can prove if you have sustainability points that you are really interested in and you're addressing the topics here. So actually, it affected the whole industry and it challenged us. So what can we do with uh, our technology and what does it mean for product and materials? So then we were thinking about as well, okay, can we contribute to a sustainable solution, thinking about future-oriented materials, uh, machines and processes. And then we, we came up and said, yeah, um, let's just use our competences and know-how and explore a new material, the fiber material. And this was actually the start of it. And the key thing of this is it's using natural fibers. So True. how does this work? Like, talk me through it. Yeah. So basically, the, the whole process is called fiber thermoforming. Um, so because we're not forming now polymers anymore, we're forming fiber. Right. And the process is um, the raw material for fiber product is pulp or paper. This is dissolved in water. And then afterwards, it's shaped, it's pressed, dried and converted into stable packaging. And these steps guarantee the even fiber distribution across the entire tool geometry and excellent dimensional accuracy and a very high quality surface. So, and a very big advantage is in addition that the packaging product can be recycled in the paper cycle or even composted. So trays or soup bowls or salad bowls. We talk from like coffee capsules to um, secondary packaging. So we can really address all demands from customers here. So when you talk about those fibers, what are they exactly, or does that get extremely complicated? <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to keep it simple. Yeah. Um, they can be, of course, um, diverse. So you have additional, like, diverse compositions of fibers. So it can be baguettes, it can be cotton, it can be straw, it can be, like, everything you can think about, what, what is natural fiber, can be processed in our machines, basically. And this is really an, an alternative to plastic packaging because it's a renewable raw material with low carbon footprint. Every material has a very, very high value and you just have to pick um, the correct 
material for the correct packaging type. So that's the key of it. Okay. And so obviously this is the robot podcast. <laughs> so, so where do robots come in to all of this? Well, it comes in um, in our machines and the technology. So ABB is already a partner since many years with the development of our new nature former. We had the chance to cooperate and really deepen our relationship to ABB because we have taken let's the technology to a new level with high flexible production cells. And this is done with ABB robotics. So for the tool handling as part of the production process, the tool change and, of course, uh, cleaning the tools. So the benefits we wanted to have in our process is to have and offer high product flexibility. And this can be fulfilled with the ABB robotics to have um, the best process stability that is possible. So the robots here ensure as well the quality and um, the product homogeneity across the forming surface of the product. So, um, And finally, of course, the machine designer. The position of the pre-press can be selected. You have 100% flexibility by the robot in the machine design phase. And this also can help to save resources. So due to that, ABB was a perfect partner to really start the next level of new technology. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a huge solution, basically, to like what we're doing. So what do you think then the future holds? You know, what are those next steps for Keyful? Well, the future is bright for nature and fiber thermoforming. I really believe in that. Um because our vision is to be the leading solution provider for the development and implementation of the most sustainable technology. And um, we plan a strong growth here. We see the market potential in the packaging industry. And um, of course, we want to grow and not only with the market, but we want to grow the market. We, we believe that there is high potential even with uh, the attempt of having local production with local materials, which would be even a step further in sustainable production. Uh, if you don't have to carry around the material all over the world, but use the materials that you have locally available and process it. That would be the, the vision. Uh. So we are already strengthening our research and development activities through, for example, collaborationships um, with universities worldwide. And we have established our technology center here and the material center here on site at the headquarters to really uh, drive the material expertise and the know-how here in our company further. Thank you so much to Cornelia Frank, Global Director of Fiber Packaging at Kiefer. And it is absolutely fascinating to see the different and the innovative solutions when it comes to packaging, as well as the agriculture, as we covered earlier. But what is a robot and food episode without that very thing? Robots and food. So for this next part, we're going to need a change of scene. 
I am in central London with my producers Izzy Clark Hello. and Jack Claremont and we are about to treat ourselves and go for lunch at Din Tai Fung which is a dumpling restaurant that uses robots to help serve the food and clear the plates. Now we can't record in the restaurant um, but we're gonna head in, have some lunch and we'll catch you after. Right, we are back and suitably full and we cross-questioned <laughs> so many people about the robots in there and it was interesting to see, wasn't it? Yeah, um, so there were two robots in there. So one was for clearing, so clearing away the plates, and one was to help everyone serve the food. Um, the three of us are sat around this table and every time someone brought us some food, we're like, we have a question about robots, uh, excuse me. I'll start with the one serving the food. It seemed really helpful for all the waiting staff just to have like a little robot come from the kitchen into the middle of the restaurant and then they went out to all the different tables. Absolutely, like in my head I had that they might have been doing a bit more and in terms of delivering it closer to your table but the fact that they deliver to certain spots around the restaurant I thought oh is that helpful but then yeah the more the time went on and in terms of our discussions with the waiting staff it seemed obvious it just saves that journey all the way back to the kitchen and then back out which if you repeat that over a shift that's going to add up they were bringing a lot of plates of soup which i think is like quite key because actually that's a hard thing to so to true. to bring when you're a waiter it's a smart thing to have that they were able to do that yeah and so it's quite interesting to see how they actually work so when we ask one of our many questions to the people that work there, it seems that there's like four different spots that they're programmed to travel around to. That can go up to six, but they were able to just be like, ah, okay, we need to go to this section of the restaurant. That's point A. And then after that, I'll go on to point B. Yeah, it's really interesting. What we didn't do that perhaps would have been quite a good test is sort of stand in the way of the robot. <laughs> well, actually, I did have like a Mexican standoff with one as I was going to the toilet. Uh, and it did stop and waited for me to go past and then it carried on with its journey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. So it knew what it was doing. Yeah. What was interesting, I suppose, was as well how the people actually having the food just sort of took them for granted. There wasn't this big ceremony of the robot being part of the, the staff, I suppose. It was just, just accepted. I, I've seen other examples of it, a restaurant where they use them and they actually pay them a wage as well, which goes to charity, um, which is a really cool example. And Fran, you were saying that over in like Japan and places that you've been, that you know, there's, they're really advanced. But I think to see them here today, it was, yeah, like you say, it was seamless. It wasn't anything that was too shocking, but it was a nice way to see how robots can be integrated quite easily into a restaurant. Fran, do you reckon you want to see more robots in restaurants? Always. <laughs> Now, unfortunately, that is it for this week because we want to go back in and sample our dessert. I'm Fran Scott, and the Robot Podcast is a fresh air production for ABB. If you want to find out more about robotics at ABB, there's a link in the show notes. And remember to follow or subscribe now for free wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Part of the ABB Decoded series. 